something we could fight for I might just help a man up to his feet or hold a newborn But no matter what I do, my hands remembering my rifle Welcome to Veteran State of Mind, I'm your host Geraint Jones And I want to wish you guys a very happy new year um, I am currently sitting with a blanket over my head Trying to get some a good audio um, the reason being because I'm recording this intro at home. So if you're here for the first time, we will be going to studio quality in a minute. Until then, bear him, uh, please just like bear with the guy with the blanket over his head uh, while I introduce uh, today's guest. And actually, before we get into that, if we do have new listeners uh, with us today, um, welcome first and foremost. And also just to give you a bit of background about what this podcast is, uh, I'm a former British Army infantry soldier myself. Uh, I had a very ordinary, I would say typical kind of uh, experiences um, in the you know, war on terror, Iraq, Afghanistan, that kind of thing. Um, I'm now a writer and an author. I get to uh, work with a lot of other people. I get to hear their stories. And um, that's kind of how the podcast was born. I was uh, having such great conversations with people that I didn't want to keep them to myself. And um, uh, we have a lot of the guys that I worked with on the podcast, but we also have other people as well. Today's guest is one of them who I, I don't work with, but who are just very generous in giving up their time, their wisdom, and their stories. And I hope you guys enjoy them. Uh, if you want to stick with us, if you're here for the first time, we do have some episodes which are conversations like today, and then we have other episodes which uh, I describe as reasonably well-informed bollocks, where me and my mate Joe get together, a uh, Joe veteran himself. Um, Joe also been out to Iraq and Afghanistan, that kind of thing. So me and Joe just kind of put the will to right. Oh my God, sorry. <laughs> I'm choking, it's not blanket related. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so guys, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for all the returning guests. Uh, not return, Well, yes, returning guests. Thank you to you. And thank you to also the returning listeners. Um, great to have you guys. Podcast goes from strength to strength and you guys are responsible for that. If you enjoyed today's episode, uh, please tell a mate. Please tell a friend. Uh, make a post on social media. Take you two minutes. And um, it can really make a difference in people's lives. And on that note, um, you know, we do get messages from people who have, um, you know, who have kind of had, had a, a lot of help from the podcast and from the guests. So, um, I, you know, just to let you know, guys, I do pass those messages on to the guests so that, you know, if you if you ever send one of those in, they do get passed on and, and guests are very grateful for them. And I am extremely grateful for them. I really, 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 really appreciate those because it lets us know that we're on the right path. Obviously, always work to be done to get better. But I like to think that we, we are on, on our way there. Um, right, without further ado, guys, I want to get to today's guest. Um, he's a returning guest, been on the podcast before. Uh, his name is Ed Calderon. He is a uh, he, he he was in the Mexican uh, police force, done all kind of executive protection um, and counter narcotics work down there. Um, an extremely um, extremely kind of well versed man in, in in this in this uh, area of um, of security, escapology, and um, and the occult. You know, Ed Ed is a um, one of the reasons I really enjoy um, having Ed on this podcast, but also listening to him on on others. You know, I came across Ed on on the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, it's just he's he's very he's very kind of wise man. Ask a lot of questions and then he tries to find the answers, and that's what we're all about on um, this podcast. So please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Ed Calderon. Uh, Ed, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast, mate. Good to see you. Good to see you guys again, <laughs> mate. You know what's funny is I listened back to our, our first episode that we did. So if anyone's listening, they haven't listened. This episode 74, 74, Go back and listen to that just so how you can see how clever me and Ed are that we predicted <laughs> that 2020 was the appetizer for 2021. In fact, I wrote down your, what you said was, you said 2021 will be an interesting ride uh, and you haven't been wrong, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
You know, we lost Vicente Fernandez, which is like Mexican George Washington, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know Taiwan is almost, uh, you know, Ukraine is about to, everything, everything's, uh, everything's pretty interesting right now. It fucking is, mate. Um, um, they, I mean, there's a lot we can get into, but I was just saying, like, you know, you're down in Tijuana at the moment, and I was just kind of asking, like, uh, about it, and you were saying that there's a kind of a change in the dynamic of how people are operating, the criminal elements are operating there. Can you tell us about, a bit about that? Yeah, it's a generalized feeling you get, you're getting throughout the country of a, like a settling in or a hunkering down. Um, during the uh, COVID epidemic, you saw an expansion of the new generation cartel all, all over the country. You know, and uh, then you saw a clear sign by the federal government that uh, that said, you know, we're basically taking a side. We're not going to lay off Sinaloa cartel for a bit and just going to go straight into a new generation cartel. Right. Um, so they basically been hunkering down in places uh, and uh, have developed, a, you know, like an insurgency type of vibe you get from some of these uh, criminal groups and how they're operating. They're not. They're they're not. Uh, they're not down for open uh, open warfare in some of the places where they they take control. So they just adopt a classic mafioso type uh, uh, strate- strategy of uh, gaining control over a local drug market, like they are in Tijuana. Um, people think that drug uh, trafficking is just about moving drugs through through Mexico. The local drug markets in Mexico are ginormous. You know. Um, and the specific phenomenon you're seeing in Tijuana right now is the the uh, economic migrants, which is it's fascinating if you think about it, right? So California economic migrants are coming to live in Tijuana, and with them are bringing their expensive drug habits, which has made a flourishing local drug market in Tijuana just explode. So people that can't afford to live in California because they can't afford a million dollar house in San Diego <laughs> living in Tijuana <laughs> and are changing Tijuana, you know, Tijuana, you know, it's, you know, uh, a, a friend of mine, a friend of mine told me when he came to visit Tijuana that, that looked like, uh, that movie Elysium, you know, uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in some parts in some parts of it, you know, you don't need to do a lot of dress, uh, dress setup to make it look like that movie. Uh, but right now, you know, sky, uh, uh, sky luxury departments are coming up all over the city. So it's just an injection of money. And with that, you know, uh, two major cartels fighting over it um, and violence of the, of the kind you, see, you, you used to see in gang, uh, gangland era, you know, L.A., you know, drive-bys and stuff like that are, are like a common thing now. Um, and uh, you know levels of violence going on where uh whole families are murdered uh there's a recent murder of a couple and their two uh two or three kids i think were uh assassinated by a you know uh poor cartel connection right because they were because they were a family member of a, a rival cartel yeah yeah um so there's basically a no quarters given type uh war going on right now that where there's Absolutely no, uh, you know. We're, we're going to respect women and children. No, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's that all of that is gone. It's like a, like a, like a war of attrition right now going on uh, in, in, in parts like Tijuana. It's, it's, all, it's the same all over Mexico. Yeah, and then once one side has done that, once that's happened once, then then there's just that 
so it's uh, then people start to try and outdo each other, don't they? Which is kind of how like a lot of this stuff got to that point in the first place, right? You know, it's like okay, well, we're going to hang somebody off a bridge, or right, well, we're going to hang three people off a bridge, and then you know, it's just it just goes on and on. A conversation I had with a friend of mine who's a special operations guy in the U.S. Uh, he said uh, the uniqueness of your experience, Ed doesn't come from your training or from whatever it comes from the fact that you got to do it live in a live environment like mexico uh mexico is an environment it's the closest thing we have to a call of duty game you know (laughs) (laughs) that's fucked up but it's true but it's true you know it's the only it's uh you're seeing drones that are now uh being mounted with uh with a short barreled uh, uh you know submachine uh submachine guns uh, being used against uh, you know, conventional military force uh, drones that have explosives on them, uh, drones with chemical explosives on, uh, chemical weapons on them, being utilized against National Guard units. Um, you're seeing the uh, you know the cartels beat the military in open warfare. Uh, you know it's it's an it's an interesting and insane time to kind of like uh, to kind of sit back and look at Mexico as what it is as far as a case study for the world later on in future conflicts and what it's providing it's uh it is providing a myriad of case studies for the you know the people that study this type of stuff uh elsewhere in the world well i've told people before mix i'm like i try and keep like when i first started getting interested in mexico you know there was it seemed to be there's a few cartels and you could reasonably keep on top of things a bit you know even if you were in mexico and like now like i follow your account i follow uh, demola is that, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it properly. Demolaire, sorry. Excuse the uh, Welsh. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and then it's just, this is springing up and this is splintered and this group are coming up and this group are moving here. I mean, it would be a full-time job to keep on top of this stuff. Um, one of the things, before I forget it, I just want to ask you, you're saying there's people moving to Tijuana, which is causing this kind of like Elysium effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about T- Tulum or Tulum? How are you selling? I don't know how you say it, but I know... But, I, but so I saw at the beginning of um, the pandemic, loads of Americans who were kind of just like, fuck this, I don't want to be locked up at home. We're just going like, right, Tulum is the the place to go or two. I don't know how I'm saying to me. Sorry. Same thing. Same thing. Uh, and then, so what, what's what's happened there in terms of cartel activity? Uh, an explosion of local drug markets, an explosion of local sex, uh, sex uh, service or uh, organized uh, sex trafficking going around in and around some of these towns to feed these people that are coming in with their own you know needs uh, for, for for products and services um so you're you're mm-hmm. there was a recently a uh, case of a uh, a few people in jet skis basically went into uh, a resort town and fired some shots into the air and then you know fled uh and uh, the execution of a high-level cart, uh, two high-level cartel uh, distributors in, in, in a resort town nearby. Um, Russian mafia involved in some of this as well. I mean, it's 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 a it's a mess. But it, all of it is basically that uh, the, the that Elysium effect of having Americans move out of the United States during the, these uh, the, the 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 pandemic. And setting up uh, communities out, uh, setting up communities, or basically buying out uh, rental properties in areas like the Louvre, like now, like Tijuana, and uh, turning it into a like a thriving local drug market, 
and the violence that comes with people competing for those uh, those dollars, right? So it's it's it it is a it it is obviously a sign of destabilization and 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 the lack of uh, an effective uh, military or police force in these areas, but also it's a sign of uh, people coming in with a very specific craving and or uh, need and and people filling these needs and the competition to fill these needs illegally uh, by some of these cartels. And that's what's kind of interesting is the the keen like work who were illegal because. Uh, a lot of people go from the UK and other countries to go and get high in um, Amsterdam. And obviously, there is criminal activity in Amsterdam. I can tell you that for a fact, because I got mugged and my friend got his camera taken. I pulled the knife on my friend and I was like, looks like your problem. <laughs> it's going to step back. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, sorry, Phil, if you're listening. And, um, you know, it's, but it's, but we're not getting open. There's no open war on the streets in Amsterdam, you know. So, um that's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? Because you have that drug tourism in Af- in, in, in Amsterdam, but the, you don't have the violence, or, or at least not on this anywhere near the same level. The amounts of money be, being uh, being exchanged in some of these environments that might make it a different uh, environment. Uh, the fact that we have the United States, which is the, you know, everybody has a gun uh, country. Um, I've seen some private gun collections that, you know, would, pale any armory that i the official government armory that i, that I saw in my time active in mexico so that is a part of the phenomenon that needs to be taken into account the fact that we have such a porous border not not just a porous border as far as being able to traffic drugs across it but also being able to traffic massive amounts of firearms uh, uh, ammunition uh, now we're we're starting to see some of the stuff that went on to on the black market in Afghanistan uh, after the, uh, the the drawback pop up in places like Mexico mm-hmm. uh, in the form of grenades in the form of uh, uh, night vision uh, devices uh, in the form of uh, firearms uh, of, of different kinds. Uh, so it's basically it's it's Mexico itself is very porous. Uh, it doesn't have a it doesn't have a good structure around it to keep it uh, shore safe from uh, people trafficking things into it and much much less uh, traffic trafficking things out of it uh, so that's definitely a factor as far as the ultra violent nature of, uh, of of the uh of the war that's raging on in, in the country presumably there's like does heroin come from Afghanistan to Mexico and then get shipped into no um or is, is that not a thing so this is like a new smuggling route for weapons just specifically for like weapons and stuff to come out of there as far as I know some of these cartels have actually gone and taken control over the source the places down in Colombia and other parts of, of, of South South America where the production is being had. So they're actually so it's cocaine production. Yeah. Now. So actually, Mexican cartels are trying to gain control over the source as well. So they're they're oper- they're, they're op- there's new generation cartels operative in South in South America and and, and uh, the Sinaloa cartel operations in South America as well. So the drug routes go from the the Atlantic and or the Gulf of Mexico into places like Northern Africa, and drugs go to Northern Africa then get sent to Europe traffic to Europe in different ways. So it's like a way station. Um, and, and on the same drug route, things come back from South, from North, from North Africa or from that area. You know, sometimes, some, sometimes out in the ocean, the exchanges happen and stuff like that. Um, including some, uh, man pads. I, I heard through some, uh, through some, uh, some of my colleagues, uh, 
they were they were seeing some remote uh, remote guided stuff uh, start showing up in in uh, southern Mexico right now, uh, which is you know, uh, I I don't know a lot about them myself, but just speaking to people that I that do know a lot about them, uh, there's specific details about the housing of the electronic uh, electronics inside of some of these man pads that will tell you how old it is, and these are not old basically. So stuff like that that is pretty concerning to kind of see show up. That's related to that that green drug route that goes uh, from South America, Mexico, and parts like that into uh, places like North Africa. Um, but heroin is actually being grown in Mexico. Uh, it's horrible heroin. It's apparently not that potent, not that potent, <laughs> uh, because of the years of uh, nutrients being leached from the ground and all of these pot fields that. Uh, fed the uh, u.s drug habit for since the seven since the 60s and 70s um but the way they they, they figured to give it an extra kick was to lace it with fentanyl right mm. right as the uh the the prescription uh, opiate epidemic kind of died down in the u.s uh, the cartels figured out fentanyl and heroin so it was it's it's, it's been like a perfect storm after uh, after a perfect storm Mate, I saw something the other day. I think it said something like 200 overdose deaths a day in America. Well, you know, with a lot of them attributed to fentanyl. Can you tell people a bit more about that? These kind of like synthetic opioids and, and stuff, and, and what kind of uh, what's in it for the what's in it for the cartel, and what's the bad news for the end user? The fentanyl is, I mean, it's a it's a it's a use in the pharmaceutical in industry as a it's a painkiller. Um. Obviously, dosages and measurements and standards of production are not something that the cartels are going to follow down in Mexico. Um, uh, also, some of these chemicals that are being utilized are not just uh, fentanyl. There's other there's other derivatives that uh, single particle gets changed in the uh, in the in the, uh, chem in the chemical formula, and it's a whole different substance. Um, and all of these are things are all of these are being produced and or man, uh, gen, engineered in, in China. Uh, the connection that between China and Mexico has always been the precursor source and or the the material source for some of the drugs that are um, put together in Mexico and then sent on to the U.S. Uh, so, you know, you you take something like heroin, which is in and of itself, you know, not that potent. It's not from it's not like some of that Afghan. You know, uh, or you know, golden triangle stuff <laughs> that you see in the movies. It's a uh, it's light colored brown, but it's you, you lace it with something like fentanyl, and it gives it uh, another worldly, you know, prof otherworldly properties at least for the end user. Uh, quantities and and uh, loads and just variations in in, in 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 crops and products are go out, and then you start seeing people just die, dying uh, dying off of people across the country. A dying off of a generation of people across the country, like you say, like 200 overdoses uh, 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 or something like that, uh, as far as numbers of people ODing in the United States. Uh, that doesn't, I don't know if it takes into account that the, the new kind of phenomenon you're seeing as far as uh, uh, fentanyl is uh, it's uh, cartels manufacturing bogus pain medication with fentanyl. Which is also now showing up in the United States and is responsible for a bunch of deaths all over the country. Is it not also? It's also in. Um, they put it in Molly and and, and, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, coke and stuff it's, as well, right? They just, like, or, or, or is it? Oh. You used to you used to sprinkle cocaine on on weed and shit like that, right? 
this is this is this is this is the new that I guess. It's nuts, man. Because I just keep, t- keep telling my friends in America, you know, it's like if you're gonna go, if you're gonna party or anything, you got to be testing your stuff out there because I've, there's so many of these, you know. Because I've always been a big believer that MDMA and stuff should be legal in Western countries, but like I, I just don't think there's no argument for that being illegal. But but like now, I'm just like look, man, it's it, the fact is it's not. So anything you are buying is illegal. Um, and there's a lot of like young people just going to raves and stuff in America and just, you know, dying. Yeah. And people say, oh, they died of MDMA. I'm like, no, 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 they didn't die of MDMA. They died of fentanyl, which was, they were told is MDMA, but it wasn't MDMA that killed them. And unfortunately that then sets back actually getting stuff that's legal and is safe. Um, you know, I, one of the things, have you ever heard of, have you ever heard of, I'm sure you have heard of it, Ibogaine. Yeah. Because one of the things that's, that's happening in kind of South America now, like you said, there's the tourism for um, your, you know, there's tourism for coke and there's tourism for partying and all that stuff. But then there is also this this new, se- or not new, but a, a growing industry it seems for um, going to the jungle and doing ayahuasca and, and and all stuff like that. Is is that is there anything like that in Mexico? Or is that all more kind of like South America? Um, I think Mexico has more of a history of that than anywhere in the world, as far as tourism goes. Um, Mexico had uh, Maria Sabina, which uh, she gave mushrooms to the Beatles. You know, she was she was a like a pioneer when it came to um, introducing the West to psilocybin use, traditional psilocybin use, as far as uh, med- med- medicinal and folk magic practice in Mexico. Um, uh, after I think somebody wrote a book about her, and a bunch of famous people went down there to, to just do mushrooms. <laughs> right? Uh, she she would do these things called veladas, uh, basically uh, midnight uh, sigils, where you would take mushrooms and prepare in a very specific way with some very specific uh, um, ingredients, and you know basically go off and talk to the gods for a bit. You know, um, th- after you know I, I think. There, there's definitely been a Joe Rogan phenomenal <laughs> effect in general culture um, that has led many people to look within, you know, some of these uh, practices as a way to kind of like figure themselves out, um, uh, which has led to a just myriad of industries out there specifically. And I've, I've known a lot of, a, a lot of places in Mexico where people are doing ayahuasca um uh, I, and I say ayahuasca because who knows exactly what substances uh, are being gathered. Uh, because as far as I know, some of the, what you need to make it is only found in the Amazon basin. And Mexico is not in the Amazon basin. Right? <laughs> but uh, uh, a lot of people have, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, transformative. I've heard a lot of transformative stories from people coming out of Mexico and experimenting with you know, there's uh, in Sonora, there, there, there are t- there, it's a uh, bufo, basically toad. Uh, Mike Tyson famously went to uh, uh, one of the uh, communities in Sonora and did uh, bufo, which is basically a hallucinogenic uh, scum coming off the back of a toad that they have in the desert out there. Um, they, uh, you know, entice it to secrete it. They smear some of uh, the uh, substances off, put it in a mirror wait for it to dry and with a knife they sprinkle it on something that you smoke it in and again you it's a direct elevator to see the uh you know the all father or whatever you want to call him. that stuff is interesting mate like i feel i mean like you said i think part of it is the joe rogan effect but 
it, it does seem to be obviously like there was the you know in the hippie the hippie wave and stuff there was this idea of kind of like you know the lsd thing and everything and culturally in mexico we've always had that like I, like i didn't like we i did mushrooms when i was a kid because they were there and the natives that would do them lived right across the street you know so they would get us mushrooms so the, the that was a drug market back then right um then you know it, it was it's it's in mexico it's just available it's just right there right it grows and it grows it grew on my family ranch some of the, the magic mushrooms grew on my family ranch i didn't know how to identify them. my mom and the native did you know um but uh it's always it's always been in the culture and you know and uh, certain uh, certain parts of the, the the police and the military have a culture of it in, as well uh it is you know completely hidden and since i'm out of it you know i you know, can talk about it but most of the people that are still in it it is career ending to talk about right because it is very badly seen uh but it's uh there's there's a few places that were traditionally used uh to for people that were went through shit to go uh in places like oaxaca where the you know the, the where these this community uh do these uh uses use mushrooms uh in uh, in ceremonies um i know a lot of people that uh, that i worked with uh that went down there for some sort of uh healing you know after whatever they went through and they came back changed you know uh but right now that it's a different it's a different environment you know uh you would go down there you have to ask somebody that would ask somebody to take you up there now there's a sign you know now there's a uh, Instagram meetups and stuff like that down there. You can go down there and just there's this whole thing, you know. Uh, you can get some Fiji water with your mushrooms while you're in the hillside somewhere in Oaxaca, which is mind blowing. Well, you you know, out here, like in Wales, we got the, or used to have the Druids, right? Yeah. You know, so the Druids were like they were all about that stuff, and then you've got the old Vikings. They're kind of like holy. No, they didn't really have holy people as such, but they had people that were in touch with the. The other side, you know, mushrooms were a massive, were, were a massive part about everything. And um, one of the things, mate, I'm just, I'm just going off the top of my head because I was just thinking about this earlier. I don't know if you might maybe find it interesting. Is one of the things that's always like kind of interested me is like why is there images of dragons like all around the world? Yeah. And um, a lot of the time, like, because you know, a lot of the time when you speak to people, they they'll have these these visions and stuff when they've done uh, mushrooms or some other kind of psychedelic, and they'll say that they saw dragons inside the inside the psychedelics and and so because i always used to think oh was there like dragons around you know would they exist at some point because like look i mean it's just fucking dinosaur with wings right (laughs) basically um but i thought nah that's that's really unlikely i don't think that's happened and i think maybe more like because now we only kind of um we want to record stuff that's physical that we remember that we've seen and that we've done whereas maybe it's just in the past a lot more stories were passed down that were um actually kind of spiritual stories which we've um because we look at everything in a literal sense that we're like oh they, well they, what do they think there was flying dragons around well they, maybe, maybe they never even used to think that but yeah, do you know do you see what i'm getting at i don't know what i'm getting at man i've just been thinking about this today <laughs> i think the dragon you know Mexi- Me- Me- uh, mexica culture uh, aztec cultures talked about a feathered serpent uh, uh serpents are all are all over are all over symbology in, in, in mexico uh you know, we have a serpent on the flag, uh, an eagle holding a serpent is on the Mexican flag. Um, I think, uh, I think snakes, is, uh, I think it's not even about dragon. I think it's specifically, it's about snakes with humans. I think somewhere in our past, 
when we were sleeping calmly in our tree, a giant fucking boa ate a cousin of ours <laughs> at some point. You know, a cousin that is so far back that we all share it. And that PTSD-ridden uh, uh, snake, PTSD-ridden monkey somehow passed its genetic memory to all of us. Uh, I think the snake represents the void. Uh, it is a monster that could eat you, I guess. Um, it's, uh, it's something elemental that is uh, outside of you that could fucking consume you. You know, if you could kind of think about it. And, and the snake eating its own tail, that's, that's like a popular one too, right? That kind of like that continuous circle. The continuous uh, as a symbology of continuous circles that you see a lot. Uh, I think, again, it's all over. China has it. Uh, the, 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 I've seen uh, like a hermetic uh, stuff uh, representing that uh, symbol as well. Uh, and, you know, we have a feathered serpent. I, I would talk about a feathered, feathered serpent eating its tail when I post pictures of kids uh, pretending to be cartel members and then, mm, yeah. you know, being cartel members or uh, people venerating uh, criminal life or police life, you know, because I, we were, my side of it was guilty of it as well. And seeing the massive corruption or the massive evil that some of these criminal groups do or some of these police forces are capable of. Um, so I think that's the whole symbol of that cycle, you know, that snake eating itself and how, you know, you can be the hero one day and then the next day, you know, you could, hey, liberators of Afghanistan and then you're flying a C-130 out of it. Um, <laughs> if, if anybody remembers that last picture of that last plane, uh, that, uh, that plane leaving with the people dropping off of it, its uh, tail number was, uh, was uh, I think it was uh, 119 instead of uh, 1911. It was like some, uh, some play on the numbers, right? So uh, you know, every now and then I like to look for you know, symbology out there in the world. It's amazing how you can see some of these things out there. So this 9-11, right, is something about that date in history is bad shit, right? So I wrote about, I write about the Romans and 9-11 um, is around about the date where they, the three legions of Varus went into the German forest and never came out again. It's a massive disaster in the Roman Empire, changed the course of Europe and the world. That was 9-11. Um, and I was reading one the other day. It was uh, Winston Churchill's book, the, the River War, which is about the campaign in Sudan. And there was a massive fuck up there on 9-11. And I'm like, it's not a good day to do shit, basically. <laughs> well, it's a good day to do stuff if you're the quote-unquote bad guy. I don't know. Well, people are going to say that. I don't think Al-Qaeda are bad guys now. Of course I do. But they're somebody's good guy. All right? There are bad guys. They're somebody's good guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the other thing as well, this, the, the weird one about snakes, mate, is if you're some third wave feminist, you probably say that the snakes are on the flag because it's a symbol of the patriarchy, because snake is a dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's the kind of point in society that we've got to now. I think there's, there's, there's definitely a weird, I'm really into symbolism like that. Like this is how you can see how deep into it I am. There you go. Oh, shit. Giant ass book about symbols right here. Uh, I, I I study a lot of it specifically because I do classes for law enforcement and private sector related to uh, Mexican criminal occultism and to and I, I speak about it. Uh, you know uh, what what does it mean when you find somebody out there with a uh, you know a red uh, Santa Muerte rosary on, or what does it mean if you find a uh, a lemon with uh, two prongs sticking out of it and some black lettering. And a picture of the uh, FBI bureau chief of the area you're in, you know, <laughs> what does that mean? Th these are the type of questions that I get sometimes. So I, 
you know, I, I've studied this type of stuff in, in a very deep manner. And uh, when you talk about uh, symbols and weird coincidences and stuff like that, I think the most of history is that, you know, just a weird set of, uh, it, it, it always rhymes in, in a way, if you kind of look at the ways that uh, it, it plays out. And I've always looked for, for things that mirror each other. So, you know, researching some of the IRA um, uh, uh, counteroffensives against uh, against UK forces and, and, and the troubles, and seeing how that's mirrored in places like Mexico and how they're, you know, they're utilizing some of the same tactics now in the places where they're kind of outnumbered, uh, and they're taking, you know, they're, they're right now they're like somebody in a in a uh, in a uh, field in Guanajuato came up with the same mobile mortar solution that the IRA came up with to, you know, plan that, uh, that attack way back when people had to Google that. I don't know a lot about those details, but basically it came up with the same solution. Yeah. So one of the things when I was first in the army, when it was, it was still a threat was one of the jobs you'd have on camp guard. I'm not sure if these guys, the guys still do is it, but you used to anywhere that was a likely place for a truck to pull up and set up as a mortar base plate. Then that was something that you do. And to, you know, so that there were, you were never basically surrendering the initiative of like, all right, we're not going to check these places. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for people who don't know, I mean, some of our American listeners might not know some of our, you know, um, younger British listeners might not know that getting mortared in your base and stuff in the UK used to be something that happened. And it happened with, you know, unfortunately with fatalities and stuff. And something they were talking about earlier, mate, it was making me think is, um, you know, one thing that we had in favor of Britain with the IRA is that Britain is an island and Ireland is, is an island. So getting weapons there was not very easy. And a lot of the weapons that were getting taken there is were intercepted, whereas Mexico and America share this enormous land border. Um, and I, it's, it's most, most weapons used there come from America, right? Yes. And you'll, you'll hear. So before I say this to all my, uh, to all the people that follow me in the U S I am pro gun. Yes, same. I want everybody to have the, both the responsibility to train themselves in the use and maintain that fucking uh, level of training throughout their life, because it's a responsibility before it's a right. With that being said, most guns being utilized for violence and murder in Mexico, probably 70% of them come from the United States. And they come from uh, straw purchases, uh, people selling their guns on in parking lots, uh, some of the, the uh, gun show loopholes and stuff like that, or just people's guns being jacked from their houses and ending up on the block market. Um, there is no getting around that. There's a lot of people that will try and discredit me and saying that that's not the case, that a lot of them are actually given by the military to the cartels. Like, yes, <laughs> thank you for this G36 uh, H&K. I'm going to give it to my cartel members. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, a lot of the guns that have been cited as being used by cartels that, that were given to the government in Mexico or bought by the government in Mexico are actually cases of police forces that have been held up on corruption charges and that they get detained with the firearms that they had for service. So they get counted as cartel captured weapons. And most of the weapons being utilized in Mexico are used, uh, are come from the U S you know? Um, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of them, uh, uh, in the box with the instruction manual, some of them with receipts, uh, some of them with the guns, the gun, the gun store, box details still in the box as it uh, makes its way across you know it's uh hard to get a gun uh, if you're any anywhere near the poverty line line in mexico but uh everybody has one 
you know, New Year's comes around and everybody's shooting one in the air. Yeah. Um, hey, I wanted to, we mentioned, um, I just jumped on some, like I said, something a little kind of flippantly about the woke and patriarchy and all that stuff. I always wonder, does anybody in Mexico ever talk about woke? Yes. And it's a phenomenon that is very recent. Right. And it is a clear sign of the current state we're in. Uh, Mexico just uh, uh, three years ago elected a far leftist <laughs> uh, populist president. And um, things, phenomenons like uh, federally legalized abortion. Mexico was unheard of um, 10 years ago. And now it's a federally legalized thing. Um, uh, school ma- federal school mandates uh, uh, dictating uh, gender pronouns and uh, scandals on social media about people not using them or using them. Uh, the uh, feminist marches are a new phenomenon, kind of like popping up in Mexico. So it used to not be, you know, but. In Mexico, Mexi- there's there's a few Mexicos. There's northern Mexico, there's southern Mexico, there's central Mexico, right? Central Mexico has always been like the cultural, it's a capital and it's also a cultural capital. So everything happens there first and then kind of radiates to the outside of the country, if, if ever. And that's what's happening right now. Like wokeness is the new thing in Mexico, you know? It, even so, it's, it's so far into wokeness now that... Uh, you know, the, the, the whole statue, uh, canceling statues and ripping them down is happening as well. Uh, they're canceling white people in Mexico. Oh, good. They're terrible people. <laughs> I, it's one of the things that I was always proud about in Mexico that we, there's my foster brother is whiter than you old man. He's like green eyes, freckled, just, he looks like a Viking right. and he doesn't speak a lick of English. Right. And he's my foster brother, and was like, people would just freak out by that. There's a lot of white people in Mexico, <laughs> uh, and not and not the the the, the whole the, the whole privilege that I hear about, you know, other parts of the world. There's, there's we don't give a shit about it here, uh, as far as the privilege it should come with. But uh, there's a whole thing about ca- canceling white Mexicans. You know, white now they have this whole thing: like white Mexicans or white Mexicans, and we're canceling them. Like yeah, we're we're done with white Mexicans now apparently, and that's happening in the center of the country. It's like a and why is that? Were they were, were white Mexicans more likely to get on TV or something? Like what was the Mexico has always been uh, a, a closeted racist country, you know, in a <laughs> lot of ways, uh, and, and not even that closeted. I mean, we still have uh, blackface uh, blackface on TV comedy shows, Oof. right? And there's uh, there's uh, there's racist jokes, uh, you know, just and 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 uh, sayings being screamed at and yelled at all throughout the country, uh, and it's like a common thing. Um, but I think uh, the uh, the whole the whole uh, the whole aspect of telenovelas or the idealized Mexican, as far as what's being sold on TV in Mexico, has always been, you know, these Caucasian people that are very european and somehow live in a very impoverished part of town that uh, marry into a rich family that have a brunette that is more t- stereotypically mexican who's the villain right. you know <laughs> and <laughs> trying to make it impossible for the blonde uh, good 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 uh, good telenovela lady right 
that's something that's happened a lot in Mexico or toy commercials with, you know, kids or, you know, blue eyed blonde kids, uh, uh, you know, uh, fabric softener commercials. And, you know, you're there with your, you know, your friends and you're like, who the, where is this uh, from Europe? Is commercial from Europe, you know? But, uh, yeah, wokeness is a thing in Mexico right now. When I went to uh, India, when I used to work, do the security on the ships, we used to go into Indian ports and I went to buy some, uh, like, uh, you know, sun cream. And they had in the sun cream, it was like this stuff to make you whiter. And we were kind of asking people about it. And it was basically like, because the caste system there, the lighter you are, the higher up the caste system, right? Yeah, so yeah. no one wants to look like, we were all trying to get suntanned and look super dark, but no one there wants to be dark because then people look down on you. And this is the crazy thing about racism and stuff, mate. Like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, there are, we have to, this is the funny thing about 2021 as well. We have to preface everything we say, like you just did with the guns. Now I have to preface this. I do not believe the racism is a good thing, right? But what I'll say is Britain and America are a lot less racist than most of the world. I've heard more about racism in my last three years as a new American than my whole life in Mexico, right? As, as far as, what's racism what's bad about racism in mexico i just lived racism <laughs> it's, just around, it's yeah. just around me right um from uh you know in terms of endearment to anybody that's brown you know a little bit on the brown side hey, prietito, which would be it's like a you know that's what you call a term of endearment for somebody that's in the brown side um to uh you know if somebody's blonde and white or somebody's white, they're automatically the good guy or they're the more, the, the, or they're the, 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 the handsomest guy there. Right. It just, the, this, the, the, these, these are the good guys or the handsome ones. Are here, you know, <laughs> or giving up, there, there was an experiment they did in Mexico. They gave, they gave this, uh, uh, I think she was a Gora Indian kid, a uh, native kid uh, on the Brown side. They gave her a black Barbie and a white Barbie. And they asked this kid, you know, probably four or five years, five year old, um, which one is the evil one? Which one's the good one? And she grabbed the white, this is the good Barbie, and the brown one is the bad one. Now, that is, I mean, she's obviously programmed by some of the stuff that she sees on TV. Um, now, some of this wokeness is merited, I guess, is what I'm saying, as far as absolutely the 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 the, the, the outlashing of some of these uh, marginalized communities and the minority of Mexico, which is kind of like mestizo brown, you know. Uh, so I get I get there's something to scream about when it comes to that, but other stuff is you know just ridiculous, you know. Like there's this whole gender pronoun thing going on in Mexico where they want to make it like a legal thing that you have to guesstimate that on somebody and think and that's where it gets weird it's not like it's not like it's like hey you want to be called whatever that's cool but do we really need a law about this and this is what's so funny bro it's like you've got people screaming like white supremacy the state is evil it's full of white supremacists we want to give the state more power over pronouns like well which pick one is the state evil and full of this stuff or is the state your friend because you're asking these supposed evil people to then enforce laws on people like it, it makes no fucking sense there was a massive uh, protest uh, over female rights and, uh, you know, and then uh, this whole, this whole concept of feminicide that is very, that's being really, it's really being popularized in Mexico right now where they want to any, any murder that is done to a female 
they want their own category for it and it, it has to be even worse than than killing a, a, a guy right so this whole thing right now in mexico that's bad but we want to make this even worse mm. right when it's a country that 90% of all homicides ever get solved and they're they're complaining about how one gender is being punished uh, if you kill one gender it's being punished less than if you kill the other or if it, it should be punished more i mean it's some of the some of the discussions are just ridiculous uh, and you know there's there's schools in mexico that have dirt floors and the, <laughs> And they want to, and then they want to create this completely new prosecutor office uh, in each state, specifically for the murder of women. You know, which again, I get the sentiment, I get the desperation. Women should be protected above all else, as well as children. Uh, but these are not; these are arguments you have after you solve shit. But that's the problem, mate, isn't it? Is they can't solve shit, so they make up something that's like oh well look look what we've done it's like all right cool but what about these 90 percent of unsolved mur- no 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 look at this shiny new thing yeah and that and I, I think when you know that that's what's going on it's even more insulting to you it's uh, it's the classic misdirection you know uh the current president uh in mexico said all the uh, all of the stuff that the past administrations did against our cartels is bad the military should stay out of it uh you that this whole giant police force that was created is bullshit and we should hug them instead of shoot them and re- reconciliation is, is probably what we should do and you know what he did he militarized police forces in mexico he created a whole new police for federal police force in the form of national guard unit that is no, nothing more than a glorified uh, border protection agency for mexico now that it, that isn't even working because you know <laughs> look at the loads of migrants showing up at the border um and uh he's basically doing everything exactly cookie cutter like the the past administration and you know people are you know still uh calling him the second coming you know oh so he's still popular he's i, I think yeah he's somewhere hovering at 70 percent approval right now that's i mean that's that is fun, amazing 70 percent is amazing for a politician uh, something it's about 60 60 something to 70 something like that uh don't quote me on that but that's he's, he's, he's popular yeah and again he's a populist president who represents everything opposed to the past presidencies is that basically you know mexico is just looking for uh what's next right now yeah which is understandable it's like when things aren't working it's quite easy to just say like oh, well what's the opposite of this i mean that's why politics goes back and forth so much right well well, well i think it's it, it, it's a pretty interesting canary in the mind in global politics you know mm. uh you know china has a president for life russia has a president for life uh mexico has a guy who's an open maduro pro chavista president who just gave a bunch of uh, private contracts to people uh, to the military and people in military command positions, which is unheard of. So I'm not saying that we're on the way to become, uh, you know, dictatorship. Uh, but it's, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> I think we're all on the way to becoming dictatorships, mate. To be quite honest, it's interesting how the whole uh, concept of a single guy in charge now is like that's that's what's leading global politics right now.
It's it's kind of it's fucking man. I mean, look, I I just think the idea, to be honest, that you have a group of people like a country like America, where you've got over three hundred million people, where and America for people who don't know America, America is not one country. America is a bunch of different countries. You travel America, bro. You know this. I I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a different state every weekend. I travel. I think I've seen more of America than most Americans. <laughs> and yes, it is like fucking going from Narnia to like the <laughs> fucking Power Rangers universe yeah, yeah. when you travel from places like California to Nebraska, you know, it's pretty fucking mind blowing how different it is. And the idea that you're going to have one group of people like making decisions over this insanely diverse group of people. I mean, it really is the same as like, well, obviously like, you know, a lot of people, this, the people talk about the EU, but the EU isn't as strong as, you know, obviously the American government, but, it's i think just in in general this day and age the idea that we can have groups of uh, these a few elected officials quote unquote elected officials cuz i don't believe that it's fair to say that really when that's your only choice is between establishment people it's really not that much of a choice it's not like there's any opportunity of getting someone in there it's like right this is the person that represents my my views and and i think when as people kind of just so you know those people don't represent us those people don't get anything done people turn more and more to like you were saying populists um and populists tend to be either on the far left or the far right and you end up with in one way or another a dictator and i i i, I do worry mate because it's like i'm a big fan of history and you look at it and you go oh you know what people are generally not free like that that really doesn't happen very often no 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 uh whatever whatever happened in the UK that led to punk, uh, the punk fashion scene being a thing, whatever happened in the U S that led to fucking, you know, Woodstock, all that shit. That is Goldilocks territory shit that is behind us. I think I'm, you know, you're a fan of history. I'm a fan of history. Uh, I am traveling a country uh, and patrolling some of its borders on both sides and seeing how some of the military uh, is reacting and some of the morale within the military forces by some of the people that I talked to, to keeping an eye on global politics. Man, Rome is falling. If you see, if you have, if you have the eyes to see that isn't blinded by a bald eagle screeching in the background, uh, shooting two AK-47s and, a, and an Uzi and shit like that in the background, if you have the if you have the eyes to see, man, um, how how you know power dynamics in the world are changing, you know, how uh, there's a how how Taiwan is. We, our kids are going to see Taiwan fall, or us, you know. But we're probably going to see it with our kids next to us, you know. And then the and then the uh, and probably Ukraine. There's a reason why walls are being built up because people are entrenching, you know. That's 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 what we're at in history. Uh, the gold that Goldilocks period is uh, is behind us. Like I think we're we're moving into something pretty weird and cold. I agree, mate. Um, and I just think that that's probably the natural state of human civilization. Yeah. To be quite honest, I I don't think the average person thinks like you and me, mate. I just don't think the average person wants freedom. I don't I don't think they want it. I make this comparison every now and then. I again, I have I have many friends and many patriotic friends in the United States that. Uh, have an American flag tattooed on their back and uh, don't take me wrong. I, I, I believe in the constitution and it's a fucking great document and it's a, it's a great country to live in. Um, but there are things that are like, going away, you know, 
people talk a lot about freedom and personal freedoms and shit like that, but they rarely talk about personal responsibility. Um, uh, I come from a place where there is dangerous freedom. And I think that is something that is missing in the eyes of a lot of people that have enjoyed this uh, packaged fake freedom that you guys, uh, you know, in the first world, view as freedom. Um, you know, take a drive down the poorest uh, shantytown in, in, in Tijuana, and there's no building code. And take a drive down the richest part of Tijuana, and there is no building code. People are making their houses with the, wherever, however they want, you know, ridiculous to extravagant to whatever. Um, I can have a party at uh, my parents' house uh, till five in the morning or six in the morning or all, all night if I want to. Cops show up and I'll pay them off. And that's not freedom. That's, it kind of is. That's why Sounds a lot like of Americans, me, uh, they, that's why a lot of Americans kind of venture their way out. To, and again, I'm not saying that is a good thing. I'm just saying that the freedom that you were sold when you were a kid by watching G.I. Joe uh, is not real. There is a danger inherent to all freedom, and it usually comes with responsibility at the start of it. Mate, like I said, like I am also, I also have to state for the record that I am pro Second Amendment. So now that I've said that, um, I keep saying to people, like, look, the fact that you have weapons does not make you free because. Tell me that you can do what you like in America, and if the police and the, the fair agencies show up, that you that they're just going to leave if you tell them to. It's not going to happen. So the fact that you've got guns doesn't make you free. Now, does it mean that you're more likely to stay freer if you chose to use those guns? Sure, but it's the using them in this situation. If if somebody, an outside agency, is telling you that you can't do something, um, if you have guns and don't use them, then you're not free. And then if you use them, you're probably going to die in America, like has been shown whenever somebody does stand up against them. Uh, and I do think that really the only freedom um, that you can find in the world, true freedom, is in countries which are actually um, borderline failed states or, or very, very, you know, like what, what people would describe as not dysfun dysfunctional. I think the word freedom was stolen years back by people that make uh, cool movies uh with tom uh with uh tom, with uh mel gibson you know running across the field you know if you kind of look at some of the play some of the people that i know that i respect a lot you know that, that train themselves that travel um you know you'll get people in my comment sections when they post a horrible cartel video somewhere saying well that's what that's why you don't visit a shithole country right which is something that i hear a lot and my, I remember this guy from Texas with a, a Punisher skull logo on his, uh, on his, uh, original, 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 <laughs> you know, Texas, a uh, bunch of guns all over his, uh, Instagram account, you know, um, uh, owns a tactical company somewhere like that. And like, that's why you don't go to shithole countries. Now that's a fascinating thing to hear from a Texan, you know, a fear based statement of not going to places that are dangerous and and with a puncher skull logo on a on a, on a ar-15 all over your shit you know talking about you know all that and i i i, I understand i understand the sentiment it just it's funny coming from a texan you know um the you know the world's a big place the world's scary like i'm the last time i was you're talking about being mugged the last time i was almost mugged and the reason i wasn't mugged because i uh 
I was, I'm a, you know, I'm a weirdo and I fucking did a bunch of, you know, shit, including some cardio and parkour, uh, was in Michigan and Detroit, Michigan. That was the last place that was almost bugged. And I frequent Mexico city, Guadalajara, Tijuana, uh, Juarez, Los Angeles, and a bunch of other parts of the, that are known for crime and shit like that. Last time I was, I was mugged was it was in Detroit, you know? Well, is, does that mean that I shouldn't visit Detroit? Well, I, I'd advise most people not to visit Detroit, you know, but then yeah. I'm from Tijuana, you know, so. My, my friend Dean, um, he's, uh, we, I worked on his book with him. He's a former Special Forces guy who, um, he rode the entire length of the Pan-American Highway in 99 days. So he rode all the way through South America, Central America and everything. He didn't get mugged until he was in America, like the USA. There's the only time he had any crime happen to him. The entirety of the Pan-American Highway was in a parking lot, oh, sorry, outside of a hotel uh, somewhere in the American Midwest. Yeah, petty crime, yeah. They probably don't have a local cartel that would beat this this criminal's ass for fucking with a tourist, you know? Just like some parts of Mexico, which again, dangerous freedom. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying that there's a difference, you know? And, and that, that, that's that, that's that old, that the... The thing isn't is a trade is a trade off for everything, and this this unfortunately I think what we've seen in society we've seen in again in through history is when you trade freedom for quote unquote security, you end up with fucking genocide. You end up with because what they what they where they extrapolate that to is well for people's safety we have to kill these dangerous thinkers because they're a danger to other people's safety. And so, yeah. like, it might be dangerous if you just sit in your house and, uh, sorry, it might not be dangerous if you do everything the state tells you to, but even then you say one wrong thing and then it's very dangerous for you all of a sudden. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah, I mean... There's no such thing as, as not a dangerous life, I suppose, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, this weird new reality. Uh, I, th- I think COVID was a, a, a like a bench that everybody sat in and all the powers that be are rearranging shit around you know, behind the scene, you know? This new reality is going to be unveiled in front of us. You know, I'm not Alex Jones. I'm not here to talk about conspiracy theories and shit like about that. About gay you know? frogs. Want to talk about the gay frogs turning the yeah. frogs gay? Wizard, wizard, wizard people. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> ISIS terrorist training camps in uh, Juarez. What can you tell us about? Right? Um, the I, I actually had a shout out on InfoWars. Uh, that's goals, mate. By Alex, Alex Jones. I, it, it is, I've lived a surreal life, and that's one of my uh, most interesting man of the world uh, moments um, from Dos Equis guy, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you, you uh, in, in, in every, like, uh, segment of the stuff that I kind of cover, right, uh, like, I, I do training related to travel safety. You know, people people that were really adventurous about traveling are not traveling anymore or are avoiding certain parts. Um, uh, occult Mexican occultism, <laughs> not only Mexico, but the U S is experiencing a phenomenon in the form of a death deity that was revived in Mexico. And it's a, it's one of the fastest growing, uh, faiths in the u.s and mexico have you got time to talk about that mate i don't um I sure that's why it's awesome so so you mean the fact that people are fetishizing death and records of death numbers and and everything like that is, is, uh, so. yeah it's like it's basically it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a like if you want to think about an elemental thing in this epoch it's death right like around like that's what that's what most people's minds have been on for this past year is death 
Uh, it's it's, it's uh, in the economy. It's in, you know, you know I, I don't know. Like you can even see in the music, there's a bunch of weird shit in the, in the music industry related to voids and transdimensional shit and Alex Jones double fucking shenanigans going on in concerts, people getting murdered and shit like that. Uh, so we're very much in like in the current state of mind, it's like a weird uh, entropy going on. And it's weird because if you look back at like say Stoic philosophers and stuff, a lot of them will tell you to to think about death, but it's always been in the terms of think about death because it will motivate you to live. Whereas the the way we're looking at it now in the West is think about death. Be terrified, stay in your fucking house, and then die. And then you can die later on in life once you've lived. You once you haven't lived life at all, then you can die. But that I think that's the difference, isn't it? Because I, 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 mate, I'm sure you're the same as me. There's not a day that goes by I don't think about death. Um, and some days it's a very nice feeling because you become at peace with it. And other days it's fucking terrifying, but it's always there, and you have to use it as a motor, like as a motivational tool. But but like in the UK, mate, I don't know. I'd look, be interested in your opinion on this because obviously, you know, you can look from the outside. But do you think like the fact that religion has gone from like a lot of Western countries has allowed this fear of death and stuff to like fill that void? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, Mexico was the most Catholic country in the world for a long time because Mexico has gone through some shit, you know. Desperation breeds uh, breeds faith. Uh, but right now we're going through this weird, uh, anything, anything Catholic, anything, uh, colonial, anything like that is being, you know, canceled, you know, by the youth. So now all of these weird folk traditions and religions are being reawakened that are more native and are more in tune with some sort of weird, uh, you know, politically correct thing going on, you know, throughout the world, you know? Uh, a lot of my, uh, you know, uh, melanin-deprived brethren from Ireland, you know, getting back to their weird uh, roots, you know, Celtic roots or whatever. Um, some of my white American friends uh, thinking they're Viking, you know, having altars to Thor or naming their their, their kids uh, in, 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 a, in a Norse way. I think this is all of this is a, basically a weird, like, uh, g- generally speaking, the whole world is saying fuck you to what what was comfortable and or known um and it's the weird awakening uh, mexico uh, mexico's going through this whole thing with folk saints i mean there's a cartel guy that died like a decade ago who's now a saint you know everybody's it's it's a free for everybody can be a saint now you know you just have to die in a weird way and you can be a saint do you also so what used to happen in medieval times man stuff i know people used to if you died and, and you greased the palms of the right um, the right bishop, you could become a saint, you know. So is that is that kind of what happened with the cartel guy? Yeah, I mean, instead of the greasing the palms, there was guys with the, the firearms. Uh, you know, making people <laughs> venerate this uh, the statue. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't laugh, but fuck, it, it's it is it is it is, it is uh, it's Mexico, you know. Um, it, it's it's a thing. Well, Mexico has a very close uh, relationship with the death that is very different than the United States. I. Uh, like we have parties at cemeteries. Uh, the, the only exposition that Americans have had to that culture is through that Pixar movie, Coco, I think. Uh, but Coco is like soft. It's a like soft core death worship. You know, that's why I call Coco. Soft, I haven't seen, I've seen Coco, this. Coco is basically a Pixar movie where uh, it, 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 uh, it exposes American audiences to 
traditional Mexican death worship, basically. When I say death worship, I mean ancestor worship. Uh, in Coco, the main character wants to be a musician. His family wants him to be a shoe repairman like all the rest of his family. And he goes on to this journey into the underworld and meets his ancestors. And this whole fucking self-discovery thing, which is legit, it is that whole movie is basically a fucking mushroom trip in and of itself in within any of the uh, Santa Muerte traditions that you can find in Mexico. But that's just my opinion. Uh, but you could you can see in that movie, like uh, they made it palatable for Americans. Uh, if you go to places like Michoacan, where that movie is kind of based on as far as the style of the way they celebrate death, people there actually dig up their their ancestors, their, their, like the skulls, and they'll put them out during you know, day of the dead celebrations, you know, feed it alcohol and food like you would any weird, you know, uh, like any weird uh, death deity type thing. Um, and uh, they make a whole event out of it. And then they put their dead back into their little box and then put them away. Till the next party. Yeah, but that's a, a lot of Mexico has a relationship to death that is that close, right? It's not uncommon to go and party at the graveyard. It's like a completely normal way. Uh, but now, like it, it's uh, the it's COVID has taken away at least two years of that tradition for people because cemeteries were closed, so people haven't been able to visit their dead. And you can see that. Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, cemeteries were closed. Cemeteries are closed uh, as a what? I mean, it's it's the government, you know. They they know best. Uh, so oh, mate, cemeteries have been closed because again. Mexico cemeteries are gathering places. They're legit places that a lot of people go to. It's not like the U.S. where you see a grave, a graveyard, a dead, just an abandoned graveyard somewhere. Uh, Mexico, they're, they're, they're always uh, places where people go to. Uh, so those are clo- those have been closed for about two years and limited as far as the celebrations. You can see a cultural depression across the country because of it. You know how people are not only missing out on that cultural transference uh, from sharing some of those traditions with their kids, uh, but also neglecting them later on, you know, like there's some weird shit happening with that as well. Once you break a habit, like it's very, like it's, it's, it's hard to get back into kind of like habits and things, isn't it? And also I think like, you know, the, the whole thing about being around the dead and understanding death and thinking about death. And you'd think that if it was ever a time to have that, it would be now. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and the difference it makes, makes in people's lives. I had this weird experiment, you know, uh, not experiment. I didn't experiment with my kid, uh, <laughs> but uh, I am, uh, you know, I've, I grew up Catholic and, you know, through my time working and through my time traveling and stuff like that, I got introduced to some uh, Mexican folk traditions and re- related to healing, related to self-reflection. And um, I took a very specific imagery of death from the, from my culture, and I decided to make it a focal point of my introspection. Right, so I'm not saying I'm a mystic or a, or any sort of philosopher, but basically, it's you know, some people put a skull on top of their desk. I put a statue of Santa Marta somewhere in my in my house, and I reflect on the fact that you know, a lot of my friends have died, and I might die one. I'm going to die one day, and everything around me is permanent. Right. That's my whole, that's my way of reflecting. Um, it's not a creepy statue. It's a statue made of bone. It has a lot of history. And, um, you know, I, I put flowers on it every now and then I light, uh, light a candle. 
my daughter has grown around that and sees it as something that's completely normal and not scary. My daughter is impervious to Halloween frights, you know? Like some kids at her school will see a guy in a skeleton mask and they will pee their pants. Uh, my daughter goes up to him and oh, that's a cool mask, you know? Um, uh, a dog died recently, a family dog. And she knew exactly what was happening, you know? She was uh, six at the time. Uh, her little cousins are not, are very devout Christians. Uh, <laughs> and do not have that exposition to things of that nature, entropy and death. And it was like a whole traumatic thing. Well, don't tell them that the dog died. It's gone to a farm. Yeah. That's just, and I'm like, no, it died. No, it's cold. Look, come here. See, it's warm still, but it's going to, it's going to, it's going to turn stiff. And then we're going to put it underneath a tree and it's going to feed the tree. And next, next uh, summer, the flowers are going to be in the problem. And she got to see that whole process. That is, a, that is a difference that that whole cultural element provides to somebody. I, I think if, if, if people want to know the difference, cultural difference, I think that is one of them. That exposition at an early age to death as something to be laughed at, celebrated, and or be around and not be afraid of it. It's not a spooky thing to see a skeleton. It's like a tomato sugar in Mexico. You can eat it. One of the reasons that we've seen this rise in mental problems with veterans in like in the American military, British military and stuff is because we're so like, like unused to seeing death and being around death and thinking about death. And also most people aren't, you know, religious. So when you go on operations and you start losing mates, you have no context to how to fit that in. It's just the person was there, then it's gone. And like on top of like, not like obviously not having your mate around and then you're like, what happened to him? Like what, you know, what, how is this, like, how does this fit into life and the world and everything, mate? And I think that's, like, massively overlooked. You don't want to expose yourself to what to do around death when you're in a battlefield. A friend of mine had this term. I don't, I don't remember the exact term he used, but it's something related to, you know, of, of field, uh, like, military field care uh, after death, basically, right? Uh, or what to do before death. Now... If you, as a member of the armed services or as a police officer or whatever you are, have experienced holding on to somebody's hand and or holding on to somebody's head with your legs or pressing somebody's uh, shoulders down to the ground as they're bleeding out and being very conscious that the person that is with you is going away or seeping away, what what do you tell that person? Right? Has anybody ever had that talk to you, with you? You know? Uh, uh, do, you, do you ask them if they're Catholic? Do you ask them if they want to say something to somebody out there important? Uh, are you going to write that down in a pen and, pa- pen and paper that you're always going to keep uh, next to your heart? Which is something that I used to do when I would uh, uh, when I do equipment check on everybody before we would go out, I would always ask them to have a pen and paper uh, in the pocket near their heart. And they were th- thinking about, you know, writing down license plates and shit like that. No, man, it's to write down last will and testaments. And that was a very sobering thing to tell the new guys coming in. Uh, but again, being prepared for death in a battlefield, uh, what are you going to say over somebody's body? Uh, 
do you think it matters that the person on the ground doesn't share your faith? Or does it matter that, I, hey, dude, I listened to a bunch of uh, uh, Richard Dawkins uh, videos on YouTube growing up, and I don't, I don't believe in anything. And, but there's somebody dying here right now that does believe in something. Should I lie to this person? Uh, should I comfort this person? What, what should I do? You know, that type of shit. Definitely don't read them, Richard Dawkins. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's, like, there's, there's always, there's always a, an atheist in, like, somewhere, and the, the, there's, there's more of them now. And again, I'm, I'm all about it. If you don't believe in anything, man, I'm fucking jealous of shit. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of the people that don't believe in nothing. You know, that's pretty, that's a pretty good place to be. Uh, but when you believe in something or something that's important to you in a spiritual, uh, spiritual way, something that brings you comfort out there, is it not humane to provide that for that person out there in the field that, that they're going away? It's like a morphine. It's like giving someone morphine, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, but like a spiritual, spiritual morphine. Placebos work. No? Yeah, that, that's 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 yeah. about it. People talk about, hey, Ed, what do you think about this? This this what well, you like, I, I'm very at this year. I've been kind of open, a bit more open about my spirituality. You know, it's a very it's a very personal thing. Uh, it's related to my experience, related to my culture, um, and I I show some of the symbology related to it. People automatically see a, a, a skeleton, a reaper, and they think cartels and shit like that, which is it's 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 fine you know you know most actually the majority of cartel members are just catholic you know which is pretty so if you want to look at a very popular cartel uh uh religious uh religious icon would be a cross it wouldn't be a, a skeleton um but uh it's helped me a lot specifically the process of going through it and then coming out of the other end of it trying to figure out my own uh you know um People going through people going through conflict and coming out of the other end of it and being tossed out into the normal world or whatever you want to call it, uh, experience that uh, that sudden stop and basically just having to readapt to a weird new reality. You know, you were out there somewhere in charge of all this equipment and with people that were everything was life and death. Every everything was. Uh, really important and now it's how it stopped and now you're out yeah and now you're out of it you know along with the fact that death and accompanying some somebody into death and doing or being somebody that couldn't knows what to do to a body after it's gone uh, uh along with that i think another another part of it that is not kind of like talked about at all is that uh uh you know uh, gladiators would get a, a wooden sword a rudius yeah. Uh, you know, I got a, a yellow paper that said, you know, re resignation on it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, somebody might get their, you know, discharge papers. Uh, somebody might get a party or something like that. You know, whatever it is, it, it is a very, very much a death. It is very much a death, and. I think one of the biggest lies that they that our parents and some of our religious instructors have, have told us over the years is that we only die once. We we die several times during our lives, and we, you know, get to redo a lot of shit. It's it's the people that don't realize it that suffer the most. I think. Ah. And uh, you know, there's there's levels to death. You know. And again, this is uh, the whole the whole spiritual side of the, the the fact that I've been 
you know, uh, talk more openly about that, uh, that, how I use it as a metaphor or as a symbol for the impermanence of things and how, you know, every day is, a, is, 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 is every day could be a death and a, and a rebirth in a way. Uh, I use it specifically for healing, you know, and getting off, getting off the booze, uh, this year has been not an easy ride. And, uh, I've, I've used all of the help that I could. Are you cool to talk about that? Sure. So has that been like a tandem thing with your spirit, spiritualities, like um, stopping drinking and and I, actually, I suppose I should ask first, mate. Like, what what was the reason behind um, the was booze? Was it like a self medicating booze? Yeah, uh, um, I uh, put, posted a, a meme video the other day of me in a in like a rehabilitation center in Mexico. You know, just listening to a dude just ranting about how he's going to die uh, drinking and on drugs. Uh, that is exactly the amount of help I got with substance abuse in Mexico. You know, that's all I had, you know, basically go into these groups where they, you would make it. If you, you showed up a few times too drunk to, to work, or if you, you know, you're exhibiting, uh, you know, fucking drunk behavior, you would get sent off to some of these groups and then we come back and, you know, you go about your business. There was really no help. Um, uh, it's only through my process in sobriety that I realized that I haven't, hadn't really been sober in, in any single birthday since I was 16 and I'm about to turn 40. So that's a lot of birthdays drunk. Uh, also did a, like a weird calculation as far as how much beer I drank during a week or a month, you know, oh God. and it was, Go on. you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, if anybody out there knows what, a, what those big giant uh fosters australian beer cans are those big ones they sell in the u.s mm. i would drink three of those before i would go to bed or else i wouldn't go to bed you know they're horrible i know australians i know australians say that those aren't there it's not australian beer it is australian beer own it you're gonna get cancelled in australia for saying it doesn't that, matter man. own it uh, fosters <laughs> is the best product australia makes as far as beers there you go um, they, they, they make authoritarianism pretty well. It's, oh yeah. <laughs> Hunger games out there. I, I, I just, you know, doing a quick recap and I said, Holy shit, this is how much I'm drinking. And then COVID hit and that changed things, you know, um, uh, alcohol abuse wasn't as easy to hide during COVID because everybody was inside. So there was no chances to hide that from people. And you went on the roads much, presumably. Yeah, and I was well. I was still on the road a little bit, and the road life was also a great way to, for me to hide my my uh, my raging alcoholism. Um, a few people out there that might be listening to this uh, might have uh, shared some margaritas with me or some beers. Don't feel bad about it. It was fun while it lasted, um, but I just found it came to a point where I saw it was completely unsustainable, and it was right around this time last year. Uh, when uh my dad contracted uh covid uh towards the end of the uh the, towards the beginning of last year um almost lost him did a bunch of uh jason Bourne level shit setting up uh um hospital settings inside of houses in tijuana and fucking bribing oxygen uh canister dudes that set me up with a breathing system for my dad and shit like that it was it was not easy but I, but my dad uh, went through it, uh, you know, and I made this promise that if my dad went through that, I would, uh, I would sacrifice something. And uh, as I was saying that, I was taking a sip of a very cold uh, Bohemia wheat beer, refreshing as shit, man. It's, 
So good. So good. Uh, and I stopped drinking it, put it down on the ground, and that was the last drink I had. And it was it was the last drink I had, but it's not the last time I thought about it, you know? Mate, I fucking feel you on that. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my first uh, month was fine, you know? It was like, ah, you know? It's, uh, the first week was rough a little bit, you know? Had some cravings. Second week was like, uh, like taking a bad edible, you know, taking a bad uh, marijuana edible that uh, it was pretty kind of off, maybe, you know, uh, third week uh, I was shaking. Third week was pretty bad. And uh, second month was a nightmare. You know, like if you want to talk about death and you know, that's, that's what it felt like. Uh, you know, I was, I got, te I, I tested myself for COVID twice during that period because I thought I had, you were kind of hoping you had COVID just to be like, to know it wasn't the alcohol. It would explain it. You know, I, maybe it's COVID, you know, the pain, the, the withdrawals of it, you know, um, it was, uh, it was after that, that I, that I got some professional help and, uh, and I got a very severe talking down to by the, uh, the doctor there saying that uh, going cold turkey with alcohol is the stupidest thing you can do. It is one of the only addictions that will kill you if you leave it, he said. And not even, Amy Winehouse, right? Yeah. I mean, like he said, you're like, even, even, uh, even heroin doesn't, <laughs> doesn't kill you if you leave it, you know. Uh, but alcohol will. Uh, you need to take a lot of supplements. Uh, you need to monitor some things as you're going off it. And it's uh, not something that is that should be done that way. But I am retarded and Mexican. So I said, fuck it. I'll do it cold turkey, which I do not recommend to any for anybody to do. And it's been life changing, man. It's uh, it's been day and night. Um, not all positive. You know, I'm not going to be the one that says, oh, it's changed my life for the better in every way. No, it's, everything's in full HD. Everything hurts more. There's no refuge. I can't hide. I can't sleep all night like a dead body like I used to because I was drunk as shit. I wake up constantly, you know. It's it's not easy, but I'm I'm more. I, there's more of there's more time. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's more fuck. There's like, holy shit! Look at all this time. You know. There's no uh, there's no uh, the recovery day in between the days of you know being drunk as shit um so it's been a lot of positives to it um but it's again people are talking yeah so are you like like a straight edge guy now like no alcohol and you don't want people drinking out no dude i envy i envy somebody that can just fucking down a six-pack and fall asleep and not do it again in a few months you know but i'm not that guy you know like i i see people like have a beer at the end of the day and I'd, I'd, I'd like to be able to have a beer at the end of the day, but I know if I have a beer at the end of the day, I'm walking the door three days later. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's how I, and I know I have to go. I'm, I'm the same, mate. Like, I agree with you that something that's overlooked is the time you lose to getting fucked up and stuff. Um, That's one. And yeah, like, I, I agree with you, mate. Like, I try and go sober for long periods of time, but the fact is that, you know, it's, it's, it's fucking hard work. And I take my heart off to you, mate, and I'm glad it's going well for you. I don't recommend it. That's the first thing I say. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, I wouldn't recommend people 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 go through what you went through in the first place, mate. Like, I mean, this this is all a snake, this, we're yeah, talking yeah, about the yeah. the snake chasing its tail, right? I mean, this is this is it. It is. It is. Uh, alcohol is a poison. You know, it's one of those. It's one of those poisons that are. You know, it is. It is. It, it, it's an intoxicant. It will intoxicate you. Right, your body will reject it. You know, it's a poison. Uh, so, in a lot of ways, people that are alcoholics and get drunk a lot are really uh, are really addicted to near death experiences. Um, if you kind of th- if you kind of think about it. that's interesting, mate. Yeah, that's 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 fucking true. In this reality, as far as I know, you know, I've done a, I've done some fucking psychedelic shit in my life, and I've done some fucking real life psychedelic shit in my life as well. Um, in this reality, the closest you can be to death is being asleep drunk. That is the closest that anybody can be to death other than general anesthesia. So think of think about think about the aspect of somebody letting go of that and just completely shutting off aspect in their nature. That is one of the hardest things that alcoholics, uh, 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 that's one of the things that alcoholics miss, that complete body depression by being completely fucking just drowned, drunk. Um, I think that that specifically, uh, at least for me, is what I think about. Yeah, just being able to just, uh, this reality is not okay right now. Let me just drink these. Uh, <laughs> check out for a bit and check, legit out, for a bit. check out where you just wake up and you're like wallet <laughs> keys yep. car doesn't isn't covered in blood and the, the hood isn't covered in blood you know i didn't run over anybody ah it's fine go back to sleep you know <laughs> mate thank you so much for today mate i really enjoyed chatting with you yeah, no worries. um before be- before we before we head off is there any, any any parting words you'd like to leave people with where can they find you all that kind of stuff people can find me on my instagram chat uh, instagram account ed's manifesto uh at, at ed's manifesto on shadow band so you know make an effort uh <laughs> who isn't all the cool kids are mate. all the cool kids are so i'm shadow band is shit on there I also have a website, www.edsmanifesto.com, where I sometimes share stuff on my blog and my, my class calendar is is on there as well. Uh, so people can check that out, please. And uh, that's about it. Uh, I'm out there. If people want to learn more about some of these classes, uh, just check out the website. Mate, thanks so much for today. Uh, you're welcome back anytime, mate. Anything we can do for you, please let me know. Enjoy, just enjoy the fireworks that are coming. Something we could fight for I might just help a man up to his feet Or hold a newborn But no matter what I do My hands remembering my rifle